service. Disgraceland is brought to you by Disgraceland All Access. Disgraceland All Access membership is your chance to support the show and get ad-free listening, an exclusive scripted episode every month, and exclusive bonus content every week, plus access to an always-on chat with me and your fellow discos. Visit disgracelandpod.com slash membership or just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. Hey, discos. Need a little more Disgraceland in your life? Just a touch to get you through? Yeah, me too. This is the podcast that comes after the podcast. Welcome to Disgraceland, the after party. Welcome to the Disgraceland bonus episode, a little thing we like to call the after party. This is the show after the show, the party after the party, the bridge to get you from one full episode of Disgraceland to the other, the backyard to dig into the dirt. On this episode, we are talking about Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska, the source and inspiration for the latest episode of Disgraceland. And we are speaking with best-selling author Warren Zanes about his new book on Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska entitled Deliver Me From Nowhere. And of course, we get into a few of your boss-oriented questions for Warren. So, discos, let's get into it. All right, welcome to a special edition of the Disgraceland After Party bonus episode. We got an interview for you today. I'm very excited about this. Um, don't do a lot of interviews. We do some, you know, get a good track record. It's something, uh, you know, 50% of the time I want to do interviews, the other 50% of the time I don't want to do them. But I really wanted to interview Warren Zanes. Uh, when I started uh, researching the Bruce Springsteen episode of Disgraceland, you know, you go through your, your process of research. You start to look at, you know, what are the books out there that have been written on whatever the subject is? Uh, what are the documentaries? What are all the source materials? You start to get a, a good list going of stuff you're going to devour uh, before you start writing and uh, excuse me, before you start outlining and writing uh, after that. And, uh, you know, as I was in that process, I came upon Deliver Me From Nowhere, the, the book on Bruce Springsteen. The only problem was it wasn't written yet. So I was like, fuck, this is perfect, man. Um, in a way, I'm glad it wasn't written yet because it would have been almost like too strong of a document, uh, too strong of an influence on what I wanted to do for this episode. Uh, you know, I've long wanted to do a Bruce Springsteen episode, but there's there's no real true crime in his history. Um, however, in his songs, there's a treasure trove of true crime, uh, specifically on Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska. And uh, it's it was really interesting to me because you know, there are the there are songs on Nebraska. The, first of all, all the characters on Nebraska are sort of like on the margins, and and they're they're kind of they're kind of neither here nor there. They're 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 in they're they're transient. They're they're in motion. They're they're going from good to bad. They're all over the place. Um, but they're they're fictional characters, and some of them are are nonfiction. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I if I could find some some way to thread those characters together. So that's what I tried doing. Um, I, I look specifically at the characters in Nebraska, the song Nebraska that's on Nebraska, uh, and the song Atlantic City. Um, 
Johnny 99, Highway Patrolman, and uh, I think those are the ones, yeah, those are the ones I touch upon. And then there's sort of this, this, this fictional narrator that stems from, uh, it's sort of a, from a composite of Bruce's characters on the album. Uh, he's kind of, he's in Mr. State Trooper, he's all over the place, but he's, he's the thread that pulls all these guys together for me. Um, and this was a really fun way to do an episode. It was a fun way to, to think about writing the episode. It was a fun way to explore the 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 creator of these characters, to explore Bruce Springsteen. Um, and it was a really fun way to fuck with the music, uh, because the sounds of of the album Nebraska, which was originally, as I talk about, intended uh, to be a demo for what became Born in the USA, uh, the sound of that album is so specific. So we were really able to 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 take that specificity of. Sound and fuck with it in a cool way. It's so minimal and it's 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 so analog and kind of digital at the same time with this this weird synth uh, synth stuff on there. So it was really fun to fuck with the music. And I knew I knew our guy our guys Brian and 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 Matt would just crush it. Um, so I'm really proud of this episode. I'm 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 really fascinated with this record. I I think at in the final analysis right now from where I sit that Nebraska is Springsteen's best album. Um, I think it's his his most most how do I say this uh, economic uh, uh, most most forceful. Um, it has a point of view that is completely consistent both in in what it's trying to say and in how it says it. There's no filler on this album. It's a shame. It's kind. It's not meant to be a diss that his band isn't on it. I'm, I'm not trying to shit on the E Street Band or, or any of the musicians who have played on Bruce's other albums. I just think as a fully realized piece of art. You know, when everything's said and done three, four hundred years from now, when we're all long gone and there's no one to defend it, I think this record will stand on its own uh, amongst, you know, Born in the USA and Born to Run and Greetings from Asbury Park or whichever album you want to throw in comparison to it. Nebraska to me is the one. So with all that said, take a quick break, come back in a minute with Mr. Warren Zanes, literally the guy who wrote the book on Nebraska, and uh, I can't wait for you guys to hear from him. One sec. Warren Zanes, welcome to the Disgraceland after party bonus episode, Warren, I'm going to put you on the spot right away. Is Nebraska Bruce Springsteen's best album? Oh, wow. You are putting me on the spot. I'm not sure because it depends on the day. Uh, mm. This is, I, I was a Bruce fan from way back. I'm the youngest of three. So a lot of records came down the waterfall that older siblings um, send music down. And you know, some days it's the wild, the innocent, and the E Street shuffle. Some days it's uh, Western stars. I'd say mm. this about Nebraska. There are more days when it's Nebraska than any other record. <laughs> yeah, I feel that way as well, even though it's you need to be in the right state of mind to listen to this album. Or you need to be in the wrong state of mind. That as well. That'll work too. That'll work too. <laughs> Um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, I'm talking to Warren Zanes, his book, Deliver Me From Nowhere. Warren literally wrote the book on Nebraska. Um, it's a it's a book that's devoted to Springsteen's album, Nebraska. Warren, I'm about halfway through it. 
It is truly great. I love it. I love your writing. Um, I'm kind of, I read so much music literature for, for work, for researching these episodes that I get, I get kind of snobbish about it (laughs) and I find myself unable to stop turning the pages and I'm just really fucking impressed, man. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Jake. That, that, that means a lot. This was, this was definitely a project where I, I really felt myself in there. And that's not mm. to say I'm in the pages at an explicit level, but you know it's stories of troubled people, and I'm I'm mm. still uh, trying to figure out the nature of my own troubles. So this thing just resonates for me and has for forty years. That's amazing to hear. How do you find yourself at this point in your life where? You know, this goes from the idea of, you know, I'm sure, you know, wouldn't it be great to write a book about Springsteen's Nebraska to actually doing it with or at sometimes without Bruce's involvement? I don't even know what the full involvement was. If you can explain sort of how this came to be and how the relationship with Bruce uh, worked and what that dynamic was over the course of putting the book together. Yeah. First, I would say it's it, it wouldn't be the same book without his participation. Uh, the mm-hmm. way he came into these interviews and, you know, having read lots of them over the years, uh, I'd say it's pretty consistent with the way he's always done it. Uh, he doesn't show up halfway. He's not checking his phone. <laughs> he's, he's really in the room. And if there's mm-hmm. a question that he doesn't have an answer for, he'll come back with a question of his own and, and the, the kind of vulnerability that he displays makes for a powerful interview. So couldn't have done it mm. without him. But the process, um, you know, it, it, there's the personal dimension that I already referred to. Uh, I just had these questions about my own connection to this record. Why, for so many years, did this feel like uh, my family album? And, mm. uh, you know, it's obviously, uh, it's a troubled family. And um, I felt like I fit right in. I wanted to know more about why. I also Mm -hmm. wanted to know why someone who had just had their first top, you know, number one album and first top 10 single would make such a crazy career decision. And I felt like I didn't know enough. Um, So those were the two things that really compelled me. The process was uh, I'd been doing some work with the director, Tom Zimney, who does a lot with Bruce. And mm-hmm. uh, I'd met John Landau uh, through Tom Zimney's Elvis documentary, The Searcher. Right. And mm-hmm. I interviewed uh, John for some related product. And uh, John knew me from from that. and And so Tom passed along a very short proposal. And then John said, yeah, you know, from the little I know, I can support this. And so John then became my first key interview. And, Mm. uh, you know, at the end of our first day together, he said, you know, I, uh, I don't tell Bruce what to do, 
but I will tell him I had a good time with you today, and I think he might yeah. have a good time with you too. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's pretty high. That's high praise coming from Springsteen's John Lando, longtime collaborator, manager, and producer of the Boss himself. Yeah. That's I imagine that that greased the skids there a little bit. Um, did it work where you were able to just you know send Bruce questions, or you know I saw that I saw that piece that CBS News did on you guys where you're there in the room together, which God, I mean, talk about goosebump moments, you know, it's, were you able to just, you know, hit him up and be like, Hey, you know, you know, what was that guitar you're using on that track? Or, you know, how did you get that weird, you know, harpsichord sound? Was it like that? Or was it all kind of like, this was like, most of it comes from one long, a day session. Yeah. And so I had, I, I knew my questions. I knew the general arc that I, I felt was right for this story. Uh, I also knew he was going to change that art to some degree, uh, mm-hmm. but it was it was in a in a long session. It's, when you talk about that room, uh, one of the striking things about working with him is his kind of sophistication in understanding um, material history. Uh, Mm. So when we walked in that room together, we were in a material place. We were in a space where something happened. And uh, he knew I was having an experience, having been working on this book for two years. And we walk in and it's still the orange shag carpets. Uh, It was just reverberating for me. Wow! But but in the time of the interviews, when we were talking about his childhood and growing up in his parents' home for the first five or six years of his life. You know, it's a place of unprocessed grieving. His aunt Virginia had died at age six and Mm. he was the first grandchild. And in their living room, you know, they were very poor. It was a house that was kind of in the process of decomposing the way he describes it. But in the living room over the TV was this portrait of his aunt Virginia who had died. And in, right in the midst of the interview, he said, we're talking about that portrait. And he says, I've got it. That's the one thing I've got. Let me get it. And he sets it up for the rest of the interview. It's me here, Bruce there, Aunt Virginia there. And same thing with when I'm asking about the equipment he used. What guitar did you use? He's like, it's the J200. Let me go get that. And he set Mm. these things up around us. And I I think that's both his generosity and that's his sophistication in understanding, uh, you know, I'm in a book project. How can I best help this person write, write this book. And it's to set up these objects that have that aura and that vibration. And this is not every interview is like this, you know, (laughs) it's, it's deep stuff. And, and so could, would the book be the same without him? Absolutely not. Amazing. Such trust that he had in you. And it, I don't know if I heard this or I read it or if I made it up or if I'm making it up, but when you did the book, the Petty book, I heard the story was he contacted you or you guys ended up in a conversation and he felt that if he wasn't involved in the book, you could write a more honest 
portrayal of him. Yeah. And I think that's so fucking rock and roll if that's true. Well, and if it is true, Bruce must have known that and picked up on it, correct? I, well, I don't know about that. Because, you know, when I go in on a project, I don't talk about another one. Uh, if, mm. if there are any questions about it, I'll certainly answer them. But I'm mm -hmm. all Nebraska when I go in mm -hmm. on that. But let me tell you about Petty. And this is this really tells you something about how smart Tom Petty was. Um, mm -hmm. We'd been doing a few projects. So he read my Dusty in Memphis book. And mm -hmm. I kind of got an email out of nowhere saying, Tom would like to take you to dinner. I was more a graduate student. You know, I was looking at becoming right. a professor. I get this email. Tom wants to take you out to dinner. We had dinner and he said, at the end of it, you know, I, I often don't know where songs come from, uh, but I wrote one after I read your book, and I want you to come back to the house and listen to it. Now, wow. I totally wasn't expecting that. So he comes back and he plays me this song, Down South, from the Highway Companion record. And that started this relationship. We toured with him back in the 80s, but yeah. this was something new. He was really, he was seeing me as a writer before I had the courage to see myself as one. And Unreal. Uh, then, then I did, I interviewed for the Peter Bogdanovich movie, and then I did a companion book. I edited a companion book for that movie. So by the time he came to me about a bio, we had some history. Yeah, mm. but we were walking out to my car, and he was like, "You know, what would you think about a bio?" And I was like, "You know, that's, you know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I love this guy." Um, and he said, "Here's the deal," and he mapped it out in like 45 seconds. It's your book. I give you full participation. If you want to interview someone. I'll go ask them. If they don't want to do it, that's their business. It's mm -hmm. not an authorized biography because mm -hmm. anytime you see authorized, it just means it's bullshit. Uh, so right. He, yeah. Like he, he was total, and he, and then it, he just asked to be able to read a manuscript before it goes to publication and respond to things he felt mm -hmm. he needed to respond to, but he wasn't mm -hmm. going to ask me to change anything. And wow, those were the terms. And you know, when I talked about Nebraska with John Landau, I said, "Hey, just so you know, um, here's how Tom Petty mapped it out." And John said, "That sounds like a good way to go." Mm -hmm. You know, so mm -hmm. so there was, was Tom right. kind of in the room, and we did it. We did it the same way. And you know, I feel really lucky and uh and it matters to be trusted to say what i feel needs to be said as a fan mm -hmm. and someone who loves this stuff and as someone who's living you know a writer a kind of an intellectual life in addition to being a fan uh, i need the room to be able to say something that might not feel great on their side but they still recognize his truth. Right, right. Well said, well said. And you can, you can feel that. It's, I read the Petty book a while ago. I'm obviously in the Springsteen book now. You can feel it in those pages. You can feel the, the, the fan in you speaking, but also 
as an intellectual. And the writing is so good. And there's, I want to read you something here. This is a good jumping off point here. Um, this is an, a tiny excer excerpt from the book. And I just love this. I love the economy and the writing. And I love it because it's, it's subject matter that I know like the back of my hand, yet you put it in a way that makes me even more interested and want to keep, keep reading. You say, Nebraska was a cave painting in the age of photography. You had to crawl underground and through a few tight spaces to get at it. Nebraska's production involved the absence of production. There's no producer credit on the album jacket because there was no production, short of the act of saying, just put out the demo. And not everyone involved agrees who said that first. Yeah. It's great, man. It's Thank so you. good. Thank it's you. so damn good. Now, back to the fan thing here. Um, you know, you know, I, I know you first and foremost, you and your brother from the Del Fuegos. And, you know, I'm younger than you, but I grew up, I was a kid. And I remember, so I grew up west of Boston in, um, in a town called Clinton, Massachusetts. It's about 35 miles west of Boston. And my girlfriend in junior high, she lived on this big hill in town. And if, if mm. you were at her house and you had the radio on FNX, you could get it in where you couldn't get it in pretty much anywhere else in town that I had access to. <laughs> and I would go up there, you know, and everyone's kind of, you know, smoking cigarettes and playing spin the bottle and, I, and I'm tuning in her, her radio. And that's how I first heard the Del Fuegos. And sooner or not, you know, I had something I could talk to my dad about, you know, and it was, I still want you, which yeah. is off of Boston mass. And I don't remember what year that was. Years later, I'm working in Boston as a college student, and I'm with this old salty furniture-moving dude who I still know and love, this guy Joe Allenby, and he tells me this story. Now, I'm certain this is just rock and roll myth, and I've got it wrong. Your book kind of told me that I had it wrong. But, you know, I think we're driving somewhere, and we're talking about the Del Fuegos, and uh, he goes, yeah, there's this story where they were on tour one night back in the day and they're in the diner. They're in this diner on the road somewhere, you know, on the Eastern seaboard and Springsteen walks in and he looks at him and he goes, you guys look like you're in a rock and roll band. <laughs> and I just thought that's the greatest compliment. <laughs> then I read your book and I'm like, that story's total bullshit. So why don't you tell the real story, if you will, about meeting Bruce Springsteen while you were a young kid in the Del Fuegos. Yeah. You know, it's really funny. The, the, the Del Fuegos, you know, history doesn't remember that band particularly well. And I say, fair enough. But mm. even before I, I joined, uh, like Sam Phillips, Sam Phillips of Sun Records, who mm. first recorded Elvis, in a Rolling Stone interview, he mentioned the band. Like he was interested wow. in this band, the Del Fuegos. Then... And, and I'm telling you, they have, there was one single out before I joined the band. Robert Plant yeah. does a Rolling Stone interview. He mentions the Del Fuegos. Like the, Amazing. It, I wasn't even sure who Robert Plant was. <laughs> <laughs> but so there's, there was a little bit of a charmed quality that went for a little bit. And then, you know, and then mm. we blew up our own house. But um Bruce coming and playing on stage with us was part of this. And we were out on one of our first tours with our first album out, The Longest Day. And we were playing in Greensboro, North Carolina. And uh, as it turned out, the E Street Band had a night off. And mm. we're in our dressing room at the Rhinoceros Club. It's a 150-seater that's about half full. 
and Nils Lofgren comes into our dressing room and that was a thrill. Uh, and we were, you know, we, we didn't really miss a beat, uh, before we said, Hey, would you jump up on stage? And then it was just minutes later that Springsteen comes in and, uh, next thing you know, we're on stage and we did uh, Hang On Sloopy and Stand By Me with him. And I, I, I remember turning around to my amplifier and I turned it all the way down. Not, not oh, just wow. like down to three. I turned it to zero because I had some <laughs> sense of I, want, I don't want to participate. I want to watch this go down. Like, I, wow. I want to have a memory of this. And there are so many guitars on stage already. <laughs> it didn't matter. And uh, I really, I like watched it. And I watched that room. And uh, there was so much joy in that room. Like Springsteen, however big he was in that moment, he was always a he's one of us kind of artist. Mm. And so the mm. people there were they were at a spiritual event and i was seeing them and i was seeing bruce and uh you know i say in the book for the next two years every interview the first question was what was it like to play with bruce springsteen <laughs> and well, i waited well, till question four so there we, <laughs> we go apologies <laughs> no but it was look it was uh it was remarkable you know and, the, and then that tour we end up out in LA and uh that was when we met Petty for the first time you know it was just mm. like they were lining up our heroes amazing amazing so cool so cool you talk about in the book um and this is one thing I, I whiffed on in my episode on Nebraska you talk about punk rock's influence specifically Alan Vega and Suicide which not really a punk rock band but part of that whole seeing yeah. that influence on Nebraska, the album. And it, it's, it makes so much sense. And you can hear how the album goes on to, to influence a whole other generation of punk and hardcore kids like myself. Um, you know, when, in this sort of latest examination for me of the album, I really dug into some of the other influences that if you wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind you talking about a little bit Flannery O'Connor mm. specifically, which I found fascinating. I actually went and, and dug out her, her prayer journal and read that afterwards. Um, Terrence Malick, obviously, uh, Night of the Hunter, some of these sort of dark cultural influences that are out there that Bruce manages to pull together and generate this amazing work. Yeah, I, I mean, such an interesting collection of people. Uh, Flannery mm. O'Connor, uh, I, I feel like there's only one, they only made one of one Flannery O'Connor at the writer mm. factory. Uh, right. she, you know, she traveled in, in a, a school of one and, and so much tension between her Catholicism and the desperation that you found in her stories. And so in, in that way, she was this kind of perfect model for Springsteen. Like, can you let it go this dark? Can right. you remove the sliver of redemption that he often put in there? Because we often want it. 
But but I think one of the lessons of Flannery O'Connor is it it can go completely dark and the hope can be somewhere outside the work. The hope can Mm. be in the fact that there's a connection between the writer and the reader. It doesn't always have to be in the content. And I think that's Mm. a profound lesson because I never went away from Nebraska saying, this record's telling me to end it all. I felt like this record was telling me to listen to it again. So there was Mm -hmm. some connection between me and his voice as a writer, between me and the characters. So Flannery O'Connor, I feel the same thing, but it's, it's so, you know, the book is his first contact was, you know, John Landau's wife gave Bruce a collection of stories and he just, Mm latched onto it. Uh, Terrence Malick is, is an influence is equally interesting to me because right. he's about as mysterious as a well-known film director could be. He really like disappeared after right. Days of Heaven, which was the, the movie after Badlands, if, I'm, if I have it right. Um, so Springsteen almost intuitively is finding these creators who are outside of any norms and kind of, I wouldn't say that they're lost, but they're, they're marginal in really unique right. ways. And he's in a marginal moment in his life and in his art and just intuitively grabs these. Um, so it's the, the book really needed to go into those influences, you know, and I, and I listened to your show talking about stark weather and that's Mm. such a centerpiece, you know, I, I feel like you did a great job getting into the strangeness of what Springsteen's connecting with. And you know, mm. one, one point I really try to make in the book is that Starkweather as a serial murder was the, the first televisual serial murder. You know, television right. is new. And, you know, the way people thought about the moving image and television, they thought of stars. And, right. and you rightly show Starkweather kind of packaging himself as a star. Because that yeah. was the reference point. They didn't think of television as a place where you got your news so much. There was still newspapers. Right, 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 right. Yeah. There's there's a thing you do in your book too, where you you kind of you kind of contradict my take on Starkweather. And I think you're right. Where you know I'm com- I wasn't there clearly, and I and I and I. And I just kind of swallowed the sort of historical narrative as it is that he was this James Dean figure, and, and he was. But when you really look at him, he's not. And there, and he, he's you, you rightly point that out that he's he like James Dean is a fucking like just he's he's a supernova. You can't you can't fuck with how good looking, charismatic that guy is. Charlie Starkweather is like a like something they cut out of scrap metal version of James Dean. (laughs) (laughs) But I think the more important piece there is that 
the country kind of projects onto him this James Dean thing, and, and he's there to take it yeah. and create this thing. And and you're right, he's out on the margins. Flannery O'Connor's characters are out on the margins. Springsteen's out on the margins, and he's pulling them all together. Yeah. Well, that's why I you know I went into the Springsteen interview going, Raging Bull had to have mattered for Nebraska. And it was a really productive moment of me being completely wrong, but mm. Springsteen and telling me why I was wrong, uh, mm. helping me to understand that those other influences on the Nebraska project, like he didn't want the things that were so, that hit so directly. Right. Um, and and right. Raging Bull did, it was this, it was recognized as a, a triumph, whereas Badlands kind of, you know, kind of came in the art house and, you know, went away and so did the director. And that mm. was the, the stuff that mattered to Springsteen right then. Amazing. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Come back, Warren, if you're cool with it. We'll come back and uh, I got a couple questions from some listeners yeah. that, that I can ask you. Yeah. You down with that? All right. Hey, Discos, it's Jake here. Thank you so much for listening to Disgraceland. Your support truly means a lot to me, and it's because of you that my team and I are able to make this show. If you want more Disgraceland, if you want more regular interactions with me and the community of Disgraceland listeners, or if you simply want to listen to the show ad-free, go to disgracelandpod.com slash membership, or just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. For just five bucks a month, you can listen to every episode of Disgraceland ad-free. Plus, you'll get one brand new exclusive episode every month. You'll also get weekly unscripted bonus content, special audio collections, and early access to merch and events. There are two ways that you can support the show and become a member at disgracelandpod.com slash membership. You can sign up using Patreon and listen to the show ad-free on Apple, Spotify, and most other major podcast platforms. And Patreon members also get access to all the other perks of membership in an always-on chat where I'll be interacting with you and diving deeper into the world of Disgraceland. But maybe you're currently an Apple Podcast subscription listener and you want to just tap into all the bonus audio content and ad-free listening that we're offering. We're also offering this membership as a premium channel on Apple Podcasts. However you choose to join, all you got to do is go to disgracelandpod.com slash membership. Support the show for just $5 a month, five bucks, or sign up for an annual plan and get two months free. Come join me and your fellow discos at Disgraceland All Access by visiting disgracelandpod.com slash membership. All right. So, uh, Warren, I, I do this thing where I have people call in 617-906-6638. They send me voicemails. Uh, they text me all in relation to the episodes that we're doing the subject matter. I was teasing out your book in advance of this interview on some of these bonus episodes. Got a couple texts. Um, going to hit you with them if you're cool with yeah. that. You down? Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, first one from Disco GB in the 323 area code says, quote, uh, you write about Bruce's influence on the Del Fuegos in your book. What are what are some of what? Sorry, this is their writing. What are some of yours and your bandmates' favorite Bruce songs from back in the day? Uh, you know, I'm I'm like many people uh, that I love 
you know, racing in the streets. Um, mm. I have never tired of that. Uh, I love, I love back streets. I love mm-hmm. Rosalita. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I loved, you know, tunnel of love when it came. Uh, and again, some days it's, it's growing up. Uh, right. I, uh, when I got Western stars, I was really excited because I felt this is the, the tunnel of love of this moment. Uh, mm. The Seeger sessions felt like a guy who was rediscovering being in a band. Uh, yeah. So it depends what I'm looking for. Um, but if I were to pick a favorite song today, uh, you know, I'm going to say it's Highway Patrolman. Like, yeah. Highway yeah. Patrolman just just kills me. And, you know, part of it is, uh, you know, when I was in the Del Fuegos, it was with my brother. And Highway Patrolman, I remember talking to Dave Alvin about Highway Patrolman. And Dave was in the blasters with his brother, Phil. Right. And as a brother story, you know, when they're both dancing with Maria, there's something going on in the exchange between brothers that is so beyond words. And it's like Springsteen understood this brother experience better than the brothers did. You know, like you <laughs> listen to it and it's like, man, he's putting his finger on something that I couldn't even yeah and yeah uh i just when he you know lets his brother go at the end um i to me it's you know a couple things are happening it's like he loves him so much that he's gonna let him go and it's this is bigger than the law but the other thing is he's really like releasing him so he can carry on with his life. And that's so complicated. Right. I mean, either of those two elements are complicated to have them both happening at the same time. It's like, that is some sophisticated writing. Yeah. The subtext and the nuance is just, it's, it's heavy. Yeah. There's a reason we keep going back yeah. to it. You and, know, it's over and over. But then in his note to John Landau, when he first gave him the recordings on that cassette tape, he's like, I'm not sure if this is any good. <laughs> like that too. Like a lot of times when really great artists get inside of a work of art, the trade-off is they can't see it anymore. They can make it. Mm but they can't see it to know you just wrote a monster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is a monster. I have a question about that song. Uh, Highway Patrolman, uh, dancing with Maria while the band played night at the night at the Johnstown flood. Is that a real, that's not a real song, it's, right? That's it's sort not, of this traditional. It's not a real up. song. Um, <laughs> in, unless I got it wrong, but the beauty is like, <laughs> He comes up with his title, and damn it, if we don't know that song, 
exactly. Exactly my point. Yeah. yeah. It's just so, so good. good. Yeah, totally. Like it's so it, it's so something you wouldn't dance to that it's got to exist. Uh, right. I mean, he, right. he just pulls off <laughs> these little magic tricks. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's do another one here. Uh, Achy Breaky Dave from the 747 text. Uh, Ask Warren, Petty Springsteen, who's next? Who's next? Well, I'll tell you, um, I, I'm, I'm on my fifth book. A lot of, a lot of people mm-hmm. don't know this, but I'm on my fifth book working with Garth Brooks on, oh, on wow. his series of coffee table books that kind of go through his career. And, um, it's, you know, I came in just to help and Mm -hmm. it was Garth who gave me, I wasn't even expecting to see a credit and it was the first one came out, Garth Brooks with Warren Zanes. And from day one, it's direct artist to artist contact. And he's, I've learned more than I can tell you from him you know, about Mm. songwriting, about record production, about live performance, about raising children, uh, Mm. about basketball, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) it it goes on and on. And so what's the common thread? Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen, Garth Brooks. The common thread is the opportunity to hear them talk about their art. So right. that's that for me, like I'm spoiled sick. Uh, mm-hmm. All I know is whatever's coming next is uh, I need them there mm-hmm. uh, because yeah. that's where I, I, I just want to keep learning. And I've, I've learned a lot from, from all three. And, yeah. you know, I, I went, <laughs> I went and really sat, uh, sat at Jonathan Richmond's feet saying Jonathan mm. let me write a book yeah. and you know the everybody knows like Jonathan doesn't want anybody writing a book and and, <laughs> and I said you know Chuck Prophet sent me um you you trust Chuck uh I said you know if I have to get you to build a pizza oven in my backyard I'll do it you know to get to the book because he builds pizza ovens um, when he's really? yeah, when he's not wow. on the road, uh, I was like, you know, we'll build a massive pizza oven in my backyard, like whatever it takes. But I know your body is just stuffed with stories, and right. the world needs to understand more about you. And I think he already knew in his head, like, I'm not building this guy a pizza oven. <laughs> I'm not talking to this guy. <laughs> I got pizza, pizza ovens to make, man. All right. So Garth, uh, I just showed my son, my nine-year-old, coincidentally, because we were watching the Academy of Country Music Awards the other night and, and Garth was hosting. So my nine-year-old was like, who's this guy? So I showed him uh, the video for Friends in Low Places. Incredible song. Yeah, I feel like, you know, sort of like the rock guys don't give Garth Brooks the credit that he deserves. Nope. Like he is a beast of a, of a performer. That song, uh, he wrote that song, nope. right? I'm guessing he wrote that. No, nope. no, he did he not. Didn't. Incredible song. Um, and just like, you know, it, instantly impactful for anyone of any age. My nine year old was just like, I'm in and he's got good taste. Yeah. <laughs> he's into really good stuff. Yeah. He was like, I want to know more about this guy. Um, so I thought that was, he's got, Garth has a lot that he has written that are those I'm in, 
Uh, you know, mm. it's, it's very direct. Uh, but he, it's, he's also, look, his, his studio, it was called Jack's Tracks. Now it's called Allentown after his producer, Alan Reynolds. But Jack's Tracks mm. was Cowboy Jack Clement, who came mm. from Sun in Memphis and then, you know, went over to Nashville. Cowboy Jack was one of the great, you know, uh, vigilante characters of mm. country music. And Garth cuts records live there. It's, you know, wow. it's, he makes them like they used to make them. And mm. I think a lot of people miss that part too, because he's right. not, he's not a retro act by any stretch, but yeah. that's the way he, it's like bring in those class A players and yeah. let's have let's have a level of musicianship that allows me to cut my vocal live and we can keep all this stuff and we can feel these humans playing together and i've i just i love i love that still i mean i'm fine with things being on the grid there's some music that's mm. on the grid that i love but the idea of an an artist with a career is, is you know i love the long careers I love the human beings in the room. Uh, I love mistakes. You know, Nebraska is just the greatest accident right. ever released. You know, it's the only record yeah. Springsteen released as an official release that when he made it, he didn't know he was making an official release. And yeah. man, it's it's such a gift. I've, I've got a, a New York Times op-ed coming at the end of this week. It really is. I'm 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 getting right up on the pulpit and saying, Bruce gave us all a gift here, and let's all go out and make some mistakes. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So that's the Times Times op-ed is coming this week. What else? What else you got cooking before we split here? You traveling at uh, all? You doing any appearances? You or? know, I've done some. I did you know a few with with musicians um mm -hmm. uh uh i'm in a band called rogue oliphant paul muldoon the poet put a band together mm -hmm. really cool the the players from rogue oliphant were my backing band and then i had laura cantrell and steve Earle and james maddock oh, wow. each playing nebraska songs and i would speak in between them which to me is the best way to talk about that record, just like yeah. get talk about the song, set it up, and then get close to the material. Mm. Uh, mm. And at one of the shows, my sister makes really beautiful marionettes. But she she made me um, a marionette of Starkweather, um, you know, wearing his penitentiary number, and so he he could speak to me from beyond the grave and. And I was able to ask him about how he felt about Springsteen's <laughs> vision of this. Um, and he, you know, he felt like Springsteen and turning it into a first person story and speaking as Starkweather, um, you know, Starkweather says to me, like, in that case, I felt a little bit more seen. Wow. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. All right, Warren. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. I appreciate this. Thank you. It's a real treat. I, I love the podcast, and it's it's cool to be on it. Thank you so much, man. That means a lot. That means a lot. I'm gonna go. Uh, 
I'm going to go climb up that hill, find that radio, turn on FNX <laughs> and keep searching for uh, those Del Fuego's tunes. All right. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> all right, dude. Thanks again. Good luck to you. Thank you. All right, that was Warren Zanes. How fucking cool is that guy? Amazing. Uh, love that dude. Love that book. Get that book. It's really, really, really good. Um, let's do a quick recap. Season 12 of Disgraceland has launched with our episode on Bruce Springsteen. Check that out if you haven't already. Number two in the recap list, Warren Zane's book, Deliver Me From Nowhere, a must read for anyone interested in Springsteen and or Nebraska. Go read it if you have not already. Number three, Justin Bieber is up next in Disgraceland and over in the Badlands feed. We just launched our episode on James Dean, so check that out. Number four, apologies to all of you for not getting to your voicemails this week. I will double up on them next week's after party. 617-906-6638 to leave me a voicemail or send me a text or at Disgraceland Pod on the socials over in the uh, Badlands rap party bonus episode this week. Lots of your voicemails being answered there, so make sure you check that out this week, uh, as always. Number five, Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska. I already told you, you know this. It's out. Go listen to it. Uh, all right. My moment of bliss in honor of Mr. Warren Zanes and Mr. Bruce Springsteen, me reading you the phone book from Nebraska in 1929. Richmond, J. Cement Finisher, H1810. Vera, M. Student, R1033. WL, Guard, Neb State Penitentiary, Walter T. H4334, St. Paul Ave. Walter T. and Son, Bakers, 1529. Wanda V. R. 1033. N. Witten, U.S. Army, R. 1033. G.S. William Helen, Chief Clerk, CB&Q. H1431, South 17th. Mary P. and William H. Fern Rhodes, 229, North 11th. Wilford, Minimer, Miller and Payne, 1622 North 31st. Cook, see also Cook and Cook. Marie M. Mrs. McGraw Mako R1435N. Cooksey, Edith, Nev, Cafe R51. Quit talking and start mixing. Cut it.